Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Thursday, August 19th. We have been off for a week. And today I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend? Very well. Rested and, well, rested and working. It's been a bit of a restful week, but a lot on the plate apartment hunting, trying to figure out where I'm going to be living September 1st, which is pretty close, but still far away enough that it's hard to imagine. Got out for some hiking at a patio this weekend. So it's been a pretty good week visiting the parents these past couple of days. How are you doing? Doing well myself. Yeah, it was, uh, I went to the beach last weekend. It's been same old the last couple of weeks, just in terms of work and then not doing much after that. The weather's been pretty good. Can't complain. Um, yeah, really nothing exciting going on. It's August truly is like the dog days of summer. We've believe it or not, we got two and a half weeks left until September and school's coming back and our lives are going to get a whole heck of a lot more busy. Um, and so will the sports world. So we're enjoying a bit of a rest. One episode a week is kind of the vibe for the next couple of weeks, just in terms of news, not coming out as fast and furious, but um, the signal that it is always time for a rest and that we're almost around back to school is the little league world series, which was a, uh, a love of mine growing up watching um, because it was always on when I was on my late summer, like road trip vacation with my family. So great memories. I know, obviously, you and I have done the Cape Cod trip before, um, but it's something that was always seemed to be on at hotels or at restaurants when we're on vacation and always signaled that summer was over, but also it's it's fun little memory to make. And I'm glad that it was back this year after being canceled last year. I got to catch a little bit of it this morning um, as it was kicking off. And yeah, I'm just feeling really great on a Thursday. One more day till the weekend. Feeling really good, my head. Thanks for checking in. <laughs> awesome to hear. All right, we got a bit of everything on the docket, but not a ton of anything. Basketball, combat corner, football fan cave, some talking hockey, and I never know how much baseball you have. It feels like you could <laughs> do one minute or 50, depending on your mood and how much I let the mic run for. So enough to get after. So let's get after it. Yeah, it's it's really like baseball is something I'll do if the Jays are doing well, which they're not right now. So I'm just going to skip over them. Uh, and I already did my Little League World Series bit, I guess. First at bat uh, for the Connecticut team was a dinger. That was cool. So some action right away that you don't really get in baseball. But Little League World Series, six inning games, the action, it moves quick and the intensity's there. So it's almost more fun to watch real baseball right now. It um, must be. What's the age? Uh, it's, I think they're 10, 11, 12 year olds. And they range yeah. from like four foot eight to five, 10. Like it's such a wide range of kids. And um, these kids play like pros though. Okay. They interview like pros. They take practice like pros. It's, it's truly remarkable, but um yeah, just cool to, to that it was on today. I got to tune in because the sports are a little bit dry. Obviously, we got the Paralympics starting next week, uh, but with summer league ending, I, I needed something to keep myself satiated before uh, 
the return of the major leagues. Maybe I'll get you in MMA in the meanwhile. Possibly. You got to pitch it to me. Uh, but first, before we get there, uh, we'll start with some basketball storylines. I wanted to kick it off actually with the, the most recent news. So we're going to go off our order here a little bit to start, if that's all right. Um, scary Terry Rozier announcing earlier today a four-year $97 million max contract with the Charlotte Hornets kind of came out of nowhere um, and was a little bit shocking to be frank after what we saw Dennis Schroeder get uh, in his free agent um, conquest. Those two guys are similar in terms of skill set, in terms of position, size, all that sort of thing. The, The argument you make for Terry is he is a seemingly more clutch player we've seen over the last couple of years. And his defense is a lot higher level than that of Dennis Schroeder, but a lot of what they give you offensively is similar. So I was surprised to see one get the mid-level exception and the other get a max contract, but obviously Charlotte's really high on this guy. Um, And at the very least, you got to sign guys to big money now in order to fit salaries when you're making big trades. And Charlotte definitely seems like a team that's building towards being an attractive destination for when that next star is disgruntled. It's kind of an underrated team, but North Carolina is a basketball hotbed and it's very possible that stars would want to go there. So an interesting thing to monitor and, and happy for Terry Rozier. I can't wait to hear uh, Eric Collins of the Hornets broadcast crew yelling out Terry again. Uh, It is liberating to say the least. It's funny with the play in tournament, how it, opens up the opportunities for playoffs so wide, but you really do forget about those teams in a heartbeat. I, the story going in once the Hornets cinched that spot, like, wow, that's so awesome for them. Like this team is moving ahead of schedule and then they lose one game and we kind of completely forget about them and they've kind of been a mental write-off. It, you make a good point about the trading option or just needing those pieces available to make that big trade because i was scratching my head a bit looking at this contract uh just the most attractive thing having a team with a point guard who's very young still on his rookie contract one star in gordon hayward is having that cap space like when you have that point guard whose playmaking ability is so high then you want that superstar level scorer to be able to step in but the room is still and and that's the thing right is they've just drafted james booknight who is a very 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 similar player to terry rogier as well um again same thing terry's probably a higher level defender but you have a guy right behind him ready to replace terry rogier whenever you decide to move off of him if you move off of him um so yeah, you're right. It, it is a little bit of a head scratcher, but it just like, it's basically all the moves the Knicks made, right? Is you need to have guys on big money now in order to make the trade pieces work together. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how the Hornets handle their guard situation with Rozier, Lamello, and then possibly book night all. Mm-hmm. I don't know if book night's more of a two than a one, but Rozier's stature kind of, you want him to play the one you don't want him defending again or like up against too many taller players, but Lamelo, you want holding onto the ball and making decisions as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, I don't know. 
I guess if we're going still in recent, would the Embiid max be next? Sure. Let, let's go contracts first, and then we can get into some other stuff. Joel Embiid getting a uh, four-year max extension. I believe there's a player option at the end of that, um, which takes him into the $50 million range, uh, as he has made um, all NBA teams and, and uh, been up there in terms of accolades. It's Again, it's a contract that you have to sign if you're Philadelphia, especially given the fact that when healthy and engaged – Obviously, those are two big uh, disclaimers you have to put on. But if those disclaimers hold true, Embiid is a top three player in the NBA in terms of impact on both sides of the floor, your rim protector, plus a guy who is basically unstoppable in the post and can knock down an outside shot as well. Um, so it's it's a contract that must be signed, just like the Kawhi contract too, where you worry about injury. It has to be signed because if you don't max them, they will go somewhere else. And then you lose on the potential of such a great asset. Uh, so Daryl Morey, not afraid to throw the big contracts around for his big players. He's just sitting there waiting for whenever the best offer that pulls out for uh, Ben Simmons emerges, you're going to see a move. Uh, he's hoping it's Damian Lillard. I'm not so sure, but uh, Embiid's there. For many, many years to come, the process continues for the 76ers, and um, we'll see who they have to pair with him moving forward. He hasn't really had a super exciting perimeter playmaker. It's Ben Simmons is a perimeter playmaker, but has no offensive scoring game. Jimmy Butler, not necessarily the highest level playmaker, and he operated a lot of times as a wing more so than a guard, setting up Embiid in his spots. So having a Lillard, having a Bradley Beal, one of those guys that's more of a creator, more of a guard that is designed to score, but also get him his shots that he needs. Uh, it'd be great to see that. Um, but now the 76ers are in a position to make it happen with the extension. Yeah, I would just add he's unstoppable in the post because he can hit those outside shots. And this contract makes it's not super newsworthy. I think the most newsworthy thing about it maybe is just that the timing is probably to give the 76ers fans a bit of a morale and ego boost, not leave them too much in shambles at every day that goes on. It seems more and more likely that it'll be peanuts for Simmons. Um, it, it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility now that he's not playing in the NBA when the season starts. I feel like in the end, he will come back, but I don't know. You could get the James Harden situation where he's just not engaged, right? The, the biggest thing that Ben Simmons brings is his effort on the defensive end. And if he doesn't want to play, then the Sixers could really, it could really hurt their team at the beginning of the season if he's not playing defense at a high level. I think it'll be worse than the Harden situation. I'll uh, lock that prediction in now. I, I don't think he shows up to play. Very possible. Very possible indeed. Okay. Where should we take it next? Shall uh, we go off-court drama or trades? <laughs> uh, let's do trades. This, I, I think I want to save the best for last. Okay. Well, this is, I mean, this is a trade that came with some drama uh, and some entertainment. The uh, 
I don't even know who made the trade now at this point to start the Memphis Grizzlies and the Los Angeles Clippers doing a deal that sent Eric Bledsoe to Los Angeles for Patrick Beverly, Daniel Aturo, and Rajon Rondo. Um, again, a trade that when it came through on Twitter, you kind of go WTF. What is this trade? Why did it happen? Um, you dig into it a little bit more. You see already Eric Bledsoe probably won't end up playing for this Clippers team. That seemingly has been made apparent. Um, it's not a guy that they were trading for in order to make their team better. It was a trade purely for cap purposes to lower their luxury tax bill as they have been in it the last couple of years. And that, that gets pretty pricey. Um, you could see Bledsoe even moved again. I swear he's played for half the teams in the league already, but uh, definitely a possibility there. And then on the other side, um, Memphis is a team right now that's just looking to take on guys that they can try and flip and gain any sort of value, similar to an Oklahoma City situation, but not with draft picks. So you see that with the Valanciunas trade where they move off of him, they move up in the draft, they get Bledsoe, they get Adams, which aren't the best pieces for their team, but they believe that Adams maybe was a better fit uh, with their team defensively with Ja and, and in that role. And then they take Bledsoe and they move him for a couple more guys. Then they turn around and they move Eric Bledsoe, or sorry, Patrick Beverly, who they got in the trade, to Minnesota for Jarrett Culver and Juancho Hernan Gomez, um, which are two great pieces to add to their team. So that's a, a great value deal for them. Jarrett Culver was the sixth overall pick back in his draft, and, and Hernan Gomez is a solid forward that, that you can slot into your bench. Um, and Memphis continues to just have a absolute slew of players who can all play uh, and they're all fighting for minutes and you're just waiting another one of those teams that they're gonna have to package four or five guys together with a bunch of picks and they could land a big star just because all of these guys have some sort of value feels like Denver a couple of years ago where they were looking to package guys eventually they did it for Aaron Gordon but they were in position to maybe get a little bit more um, that was the team a couple of years ago. And now it's feeling like Memphis is in that position where they just have a ton of depth, a ton of guys at each spot that can all play. And it's just about turning two or three guys into one higher level player uh, is their goal at this point. Yeah. You look at their, they're actually, I think a pretty, or have the potential to be a pretty similar team to the Utah jazz who knocked them out. And I find it interesting that, uh, Sorry, I completely lost my train of thought there. I find it interesting that they got knocked out by that team. Uh, I know Stephen Adams is nowhere near Rudy Gobert's defensive level. I, I was more thinking in terms of physicality, but then you have that slashing scorer, John Morant, uh, Donovan Mitchell, and then starting to build a lot of really solid players around that core. I, I also just love that comp, like physicality combination of Adams and... Uh, Morant, man, I, I just want to see Adams like get on this team that like uses his size and strength the perfect way and like unlocks like a hidden value player. Yeah, it, it definitely fits into the grit and grind identity of the Grizzlies. And you could do a lot worse um, having a center 
than 28-year-old Stephen Adams, by the way. He's just in his prime. It feels like he's a lot older than he actually is. But, uh, yeah, you could definitely do a lot worse than Stephen Adams. The Raptors are one of the teams doing so. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a team, again, that has a ton of players. They're going to be in the mix because they have depth. Similar to last season, teams with depth are going to have success in the regular season because, again, it's a little bit shorter window in between seasons. So guys are going to need rest. Guys are going to get injured. So Memphis will once again be around that play-in conversation. And it just adds to a massively deep Western conference uh, we will see next season. Yeah, and I think this could be the most load-managed season we ever see after how the playoffs went and you have to attribute a big part of the Bucks' success and the Suns' success to successfully or managing to get their star players all playing in most of the games. So I, I'm really curious if the minutes go down for star players and the benches get a bit wider for a lot of these teams or they maybe they write it off as being so close to last season and the team that rolls the dice and lets the stars play more while other teams are cowering a little afraid of that will get those advantageous matchups and have the regular season success certainly a storyline to watch out for um, i think we're good to move on to my favorite section of today's segment oh all right we've just added something else yeah up to you if you want to go through that first i know nothing about the 2k ratings but what have you got to say about them yeah so there were some ratings dropped today uh just a couple things that we know so we know the top 10 uh, overall ratings we know a couple more player ratings and then they also released the top five three point ratings in the top five driving dunk the first thing that stood out to me miles bridges is not in the top five driving dunk category which is a little ridiculous because he is was the best game in game dunker last season um with some of the stuff he pulled off so i was a little bit surprised to see that but going through the list um i would have thought durant and Giannis would have maybe been in a tier of their own but stephen curry and lebron james uh, all have the same rating, those four all at 96. Um, Kawhi and Jokic and Embiid at 95. And then Doncic, Harden, and Lillard all at 94 there. That rounds out the top 10 in terms of ratings. Uh, yeah, it's it seems like 2K's all right with the ratings. Trey Young at an 89 feels a little low based on what he did in the playoffs. But um, yeah, 2K loves to kind of go in progression and guys really have to stand out to really boost that rating. Like Damian Lillard's at a 94 and then the drop off is Tatum at a 90 is the 11th best rated player there. Um, I don't know the exact formula that goes into the ratings, but it feels like that top 10 feels pretty secure for me. And it would take a lot for one of these other guys to jump in there. Ben Simmons down to an 84 after two years ago being rated an 88. thought that was interesting. I saw Siakam was rated an 84 somewhere and he was below some of the forwards. And I think he's being heavily slept on now. I feel confident that Siakam's going to have a bounce back year. And so uh, 
yeah, <laughs> interested to see what happens there. And LaMelo Ball uh, with an 84 rating already in his second season of work. Um, besides that, meh, nothing too exciting from the 2K ratings. But uh, the last thing that I wanted to touch on was GMs voted for the best player in the league and LeBron got zero votes. So, and he was all on Twitter today talking about hashtag wash King. So uh, just the, it's the great ones look for chips on their shoulder and him being grouped in with those guys at the top of the leaderboard and then not receiving any votes for best player in the league is going to give him some extra motivation to, to show out next season. Yeah, I was thinking when you were reading that list, is there an opposite of recency bias? Because just by sheer definition, the fact that the MVP doesn't at least tie for top-rated player in the league shows clearly they're not looking for last year or even Giannis. Um, and he didn't get a Christmas game either, Jokic. Yeah, I heard that's the first time since 2008. Yeah. Really, really weird. Although the Christmas games are great. Nets, Bucks, and then Warriors, Lakers on Christmas is going to be awesome. And uh, Atlanta, Knicks, uh, Trey's return to the garden will be really, really fun as well. Yeah, I, the Christmas game tradition still kind of weirds me out, to be honest. And I don't know if that's a chip on my shoulder or a blessing in disguise. Although Jokic being, is he Serbian? Yeah. Uh, if he's religious, he's probably an Eastern Orthodox. So his Christmas happens in early January. And I doubt he would have minded playing on December 25th. Maybe they booked him on his Christmas. <laughs> I don't know if that would be a win or a huge yeah. L for him. Uh, but yeah, that was my main thought hearing those ratings was just, man, they really look over the past three, four years of data before letting a player dip because you could argue LeBron should not be up there with those guys based on the past season. Although I guess the first half of the season, maybe it's a huge testament to him though, that at 36, we're still even looking like, okay, what's this chip on his shoulder going to do? Or is he 37 now? I've lost track. Honestly, <laughs> I couldn't even tell you. I think he might be 38. It's, it's pretty it's pretty stupid. Oh, no, he's 36. Okay, okay we're just adding years on him. <laughs> no need to embellish anymore. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's get to your favorite thing. Go ahead. So you're going to have to educate me a little on this, but NBA Reddit was blowing up over this clip of Draymond Green and Kevin Durant basically agreeing that the way Golden State Warriors management handled an argument between the two of them where they tried to force Draymond to apologize and then treated it like it didn't happen, doing a mix of the silent and star treatment for Durant. Um, Durant saying that is what forced him to leave and Draymond saying, yeah, at the time I totally thought that was what was going on. I'm, I'm not totally clear what the argument was on as it was a bit before my time, but the most repeated comment or like most noteworthy comment I saw was, dude, this argument you two had was about the fact that everyone already knew Durant was leaving. So how are you both saying that that's what made you leave? Yeah, it, it stemmed from a game where uh, Draymond took the final shot um, and Durant was up in his grill 
at the end saying, you got to get me the ball. Um, and obviously Draymond, Draymond backs down from no one. And it was an on-court confrontation at the end of the game that got heated and it spilled into the locker room. Um, obviously, Duran in a contract year, everyone was speculating that he was going to move on, uh, especially with all of the pure hatred he was getting from NBA fans for his decision to play in Golden State and them telling him to go win a real ring. Hey, the hardest road, Owen. <laughs> so, of course, he went to Brooklyn and made a, a much <laughs> less talented team, right? Um, <sighs> no, but that that seemed like in the moment that was the that sealed the deal in terms of Durant not wanting to come back. Um, also, knowing that it was never going to be his team, it was Curry's team forever and ever. Uh, and really, like people were blowing this news out of proportion. I found it a little bit like meh just because they had three years to kind of figure out (laughs) what reasoning they wanted to give. And if you ask them something in the heat of the moment, it would have been very different, I think, than what actually ended coming out from them Uh, because they're tight now, because they won a gold medal together. They're obviously going to deflect the blame away from their relationship but I think in that moment, there was there was a lot of resentment there. And yeah, it it's tough, right? The whole Steve Kerr, like his main job as the coach of the Golden State Warriors was to treat his stars with all of the respect that they're due and just make sure that this incredibly talented, like the most talented offensive team of all time until maybe this year's Brooklyn Nets um, didn't fight with one another and they wanted to keep things amicable, keep the locker room vanilla and, and try and hold things to a, a decent standard. But in the end, like there's a lot of ego on that team and it eventually ended up spilling out after a great run that they had and Durant decided to move on. So I really, I take these comments with a grain of salt, knowing that they've had time to amend their relationship and, and, present this new thing and make the Warriors ownership look a little bit like the villains. So really there's not much to say in the end for this. I, I can't, I can't bring myself to try and analyze it too much. Fair enough. Do you think of this Nets team as Durant's team? Cause I remember there was something else in that interview where he was saying, I never wanted to be a leader. That was a huge problem for me in Oklahoma city. And like my role is just get the ball and score play defense, of course. But, and that's what he loved about golden state, like getting there and Curry was there. Draymond was there as leaders and he just had to score and that say whatever you want. Like that's definitely in some ways used as a point of criticism against him, but I'm asking this as neutrally as I can, not like in a, I want to reflect on his legacy. Just do you think of this Brooklyn Nets team as his team, the way you think of, obviously Curry was drafted by the Warriors, but you just said that, or you could say maybe LeBron would be a better comparison. LeBron's Lakers, LeBron's Heat or Cavaliers. Yes, but my instant answer is the Brooklyn Nets are Kevin Durant's team. And we know that based on what happened in the playoffs last year. And if he hadn't chose to gone there, then Kyrie wouldn't be there. Harden wouldn't be there. DeAndre Jordan wouldn't be there. Blake Griffin wouldn't be there, right? He is, he is the alpha dog on that team. Um, 
from what I know, obviously I don't know Kevin at all, but from what I know is that he is a hooper. Like he, truly he wants to just go and play basketball. And so he means it when he says he just wants to go out, score, play defense. He doesn't want to be the leader of the team. The problem with that is, is all the alpha dogs and the top 10 greatest players in NBA history have all been leaders. Yeah. Right. Leaders of their team. And that is what elevates you to the top of that conversation is when you are the guy consistently on every team that you are on and you win consistently. And whether he wants it to be like that or not, that's what's ended up happening in his career, except for this blip where he had the most success. He, it wasn't his team. And so he's stuck in this position where like, obviously he's got two titles and those rings will fly forever. And he, he can say all he wants that he doesn't care of what people perceived of how that move was, but obviously it was because he could have stayed, he could have stayed in golden state and just, they could have won three, four, five (laughs) rings. Right. But he did want to come back to and choose his own team and have his new opportunity with his running mate Kyrie. And because even if he maybe doesn't want to be the leader of the team, he does want to be the one, the guy that people associate with that team. So maybe yeah. not the leader, but the the shining star. Yeah, the responsibilities come with the position. And that I guess you can't really talk about that without discussing the legacy and it's hard not to associate some negative influence if you're saying, yeah, but he's not living up to the standard LeBron, Kobe, Michael Jordan, go as far back as you want, have said. Um, I, I don't know. I The more I learn about Kevin Durant, the just funnier off-court comments kind of crack me up. Yeah, he's, he's definitely an entertaining dude. At the very least, you could say that. <laughs> yes. All right. Okay. Speaking. We'll finish up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You've got more basketball or we're done with that? One more thing. Go for I it. I just had my summer league takeaways from the 2021 Toronto Raptors, who went three and one in summer league, respectable record. I think they shot under 40% from the field across like the whole team, which is not ideal. Um but it was a roster and is a team and is an organization that's founded upon hard-nosed defense and a lot of length and scoring a lot of points off turnovers in transition. And so that is what they did well. And kind of the guys in particular that stood out to me that I wanted to talk about, um, the number one guy who I expect to make the biggest impact on the team this year is Malachi Flynn. Um, He looked solid from three which is going to be very important for someone of his stature. Um, Obviously that's how Fred started out. He had his three point shot really, really, really solid before he became a better attacker of the rim. And just having that shot really opens things up for you in the pick and roll, uh, catching it off and, and, and attacking closeouts or just straight up shooting when guys try to go under the screen. So really important that he's worked on that. I, think he's going to take a step forward this year he's going to need to take a step forward this year with a greater role required of him um we'll see what happens with Dragic but we could very well see Malachi Flynn stepping into the starting lineup at some point this season and so really important that he got these reps in and he looked 
for a second year player, all you can ask is that he looked in control of the game and he definitely did. There's still more to improve on, but he looked very comfortable and very in control in a summer league setting. The next guy uh, I will talk about, of course, is the one everyone had their eyeballs on during summer league and that's Scotty Barnes. Um, everything is advertised, right? He is ridiculously big and long and athletic, right? That is the baseline. That is the NBA body that GMs crave in a player. And listening, I think it was the uh, Zach Lowe's podcast where uh, someone said that he has the potential to be the best point of attack defender in the NBA in a couple of years. Very Kawhi-esque in the way that he just envelops smaller players and if they try to make a move, his hands are active and poking the ball loose all the time. Um, he's a smart player too, where he reads plays well and, and will come and make steals on uh, interceptions on passes and plays like that. Um, because of his size, I think he'll have a little bit of trouble with really quick guards. And I've already mentioned this. Everyone has trouble with really quick guards, but uh, because of his size, he, he has great movement for his size, but just when a guy is smaller, he can just move quicker. That's a law. From a Raptors perspective, Van Fleet and Flynn are both nice options to be able to throw on those guys. Exactly, right? They're great defenders, so he won't be required necessarily to take that matchup every possession. But you could see a Ben Simmons situation where uh, you have a Thiable guarding whatever, a Damian Lillard, something like that. And then later in games, when Barnes has picked up the intel, he's ready then he's the guy or OG, right? That's taking that matchup down the stretch and just stuffing guys. And I could very well see that happening already as soon as this season. Offensively, he hit a couple threes, which at least makes you optimistic that he can do it at a greater rate. And the playmaking looked good as well. Throwing some lead passes, uh, throwing passes out of the short roll, even seeing things from the top of the key or, or from the high post. Um, everything you can really ask for, but it, it is again, a very rookie OG esque vibe and everything he does is going to be built foundationally from his defense. And this Raptors team in transition is going to be a nightmare, which will be really fun because always fun to see teams that I get out and run almost an exact same guy. I mean, I've already talked about him as well, but precious Chichua um, seems like, He's just one year ahead of Scotty Barnes. He looked really, really great in the summer league action. He got um, a lot of dunks, a lot of really active defensive possessions. He's a guy that can guard one through five with his mobility, super, super mobile. Um, he's going to be a lob threat, which is excellent. I really wish Kyle Lowry was still on the Raptors because Precious Achua would be a great big man for him to play with. Uh, but he is going to be a great bench five uh, we'll see him start a couple times, maybe at the four, if Siakam or OG getting a rest night. Um, he has, he played a year under Bam, so maybe he's got a little bit of playmaking in him. The thing I love about Precious is he catches a rebound off the rim and he pushes it in transition himself and can make the reads and find shooters in the corner, uh, which is awesome to have out of a guy who could be playing center for you. Um yeah, really loved everything I've seen out of him, really mobile, and I know he's going to have a big role on the team this year. Uh, Delano Benton, the second-round pick, our uh, Rexdale native, he 
struggled offensively. Again, foundationally on defense looks solid. 6'9 as well. A lot of length. He caused some disruption uh, of opposition's offenses, getting steals, getting his hands, deflections, stuff like that. Um, a little bit more slender than Scotty, so can get bullied a little bit more by bigger players. But uh, the big drawback that he's going to need a ton of work on in the G League is the offensive side. A ton of turnovers, especially early on before he got a little bit more acclimatized to the summer league pace of play. A lot of turnovers from him, a lot of telegraph passes, but I think with more time, uh, he's a quick learner. He'll be able to see those reads that he hadn't seen before and, and get the passes out to the spots they need to be. Um, I don't know if he'll ever be a, a top level scorer or a, an NBA level scorer, but if you can have a six, nine playmaker with some shooters around in your bench unit, definitely can't complain about that. And that's hopefully the, the future for Delano and he'll get lots of work in the G league. So um, <laughs> Raptors 905 are going to have the best, Jersey sales they've ever had in a season having a Rexdale native playing in Mississauga. You can bank on that advice. Go for it. Yeah. Last guy ish Wainwright again, similar to all these guys defense first. Um, he's a big wing played overseas for a couple of years. Um, it'll be foundational for him. He'll probably get a lot of the Bembry Hollis Jefferson, uh, Paul Watson type minutes, like end of the bench guy, but could come in and give you some okay wing depth when you need him to guard someone in the bench unit. Um, and he's also shown that he can knock down the three. So really all you can ask out of that position, but he stood out uh, with those other four for me in summer league. And yeah, I'm excited. This Raptors team, all you can ask for again, just like last year is give your effort and you're going to get wins if you give effort. And this is a team that is founded on effort and defense. So I think they'll surprise some teams for sure coming up in this NBA season. I, I'm still just dreaming of the day we have a one through five lineup of like six, seven to six, nine wings who all like shoot threes, play defense. So basically like what the Clippers were, right? Yeah, I, I'm thinking a little taller than Reggie Jackson, but like literally just OG Ananobi, Siakam, Barnes, maybe it's a Chua, and I don't know, add Boucher at the five. Yeah. All right. That'd be fun. Yeah. Just, just try it once, nurse. See how it goes. Probably not this year, but we could definitely see it down the line. Yeah. Who knows where the NBA is, what the modern NBA team is going to look like in 10 years. Yeah. All right. That does it for basketball. A long segment this time. Uh, yeah. But when we come back, we'll have some combat corner. And we're back. Sports Next Door. Myself, Max, with me, Owen. We're going to run through all the segments here, starting off with combat corner. This coming weekend, a lot of fights happening. Some Bellator, some PFL. I'm excited to see how Kayla Harrison does, although she's been pretty unstoppable and expect her to continue to be unstoppable. Maybe a couple of years down the line, that Clarissa Shields fight could be there. In the meanwhile, the UFC headliner Saturday night, Kelvin Gaslam versus Jared Cannonier. I want to talk about that and the co-main event. First, the main event. I love it when fighters, you have a common point of reference for both. And these guys, both most recent fight, a loss to Robert Whitaker, uh, who pretty much beat them both by just being a much more technical fighter. He hurt Cannoneer a lot worse, staggering him with that head kick. 
And I think he embarrassed Gaslam a little more with the just looking so flawless and untouchable against him and so elementary in his styling of just the jab, the footwork, the wrestling. So when you have two guys who are both beat by in a very technical way, who most of their wins have come by knockout, it's the first question that goes to my mind is, are they going to try and replicate that game plan or just stick to their strengths? I, I think they both have it in them to be the technical fighter. Kelvin Gaslam, a very good boxer, and he the hook he lands at times, like against Bisping, the ones he wobbled at Asanya with, uh, when he gets in his stance and gets in close range, that's when it starts flowing a lot and he looks a lot less awkward, fringed, oversized fighter. For Cannoneer, I mean, it just hit me that this fight is a welterweight versus a former heavyweight. Uh, Cannoneer, that leg kick is so deadly from him and the power doesn't really need any explanation whatsoever. So both guys have a thing that's worked for them fairly well at, at some level of the division. I'd argue Cannoneer has been a bit more successful at a higher level than Gaslam in recent times and past times. Um, and both got beat by the same style. So are they going to stick with what works for them and see how that matches up against each other or try and replicate that Whitaker style? It's a really interesting, fun main event. I've got Cannoneer for sure. I think Gaslam's just over his head at the top 10 of middleweight. He's too small and doesn't have enough tricks. Although you saw against Heinz, when you get a bit lower in the rankings, his talent does show. Really fun, interesting main event. Looking forward to that. The co-main event, I think almost more intriguing for me. I, I don't know when the last time I was so excited to see a 36-year-old or 37-year-old fight a 39-year-old, but this fight between Marco Madsen, the Danish former silver Olympic wrestler, and Clay Guida, Clay Guida, excuse me, the MMA lifer with the fight in the UFC Hall of Fame against Diego Sanchez. Um, you know exactly what Clay Guida brings, just insane, nonstop, grindy pressure, scrappy on the feet to try and set up the clinch, the takedowns, the wrestling, and it's going to be nonstop 15 minutes. So I love it so much. This you know exactly what Guida is going to bring. And on the other side, Marco Madsen, no suspense that the silver Olympian is going to look to wrestle. So right off the bat, it, it is a question of wrestling, but Guida obviously a lot more experienced on the feet and just, yeah, more experience swinging. And so more comfort throwing. I, there is always that chance when you have two grapplers, the, they go, I don't know about the grappling, but I can definitely beat this guy on the feet and I'll just use my grappling defensively to keep it there. It, Clay always makes such a 120% effort to bring the fight to the mat. It's hard to imagine him adopting that style, but it, in foresight with the history of how that's gone, it wouldn't be surprising at all. And then the cardio of Clay, 
a really interesting matchup against Mark because he did gas in his last fight where he had a really dominant first two rounds and then was in a lot of trouble that third round. He got the win off the performance in the first two rounds and it's been a while since then. So you'd think he's worked on the cardio, addressed that, but no spring chicken and lightweight, the deepest division. You can't afford a loss if you're going to make a run at 36. So Clay Greta is a really fun test for him. He's going to have to be at his best wrestling. He's going to have to worry about the hands of a guy who's spent the past 20 years in part having people trying to knock him out and trying to knock them out. And he's going to have to worry about the cardio of a guy who never gets tired. So this coming excites me, I think, arguably more than the main event just because of how obvious those questions are and i can't wait to find out the answers to them so that's that for the ufc card we're gonna take a quick turn out of combat corner and into the football fan cave owen the floor is yours bud really not much here for me uh dak prescott with an mri last week uh that the cowboys told no one to worry about because i guess dak prescott just likes getting mris as kind of a side hobby that's so nothing to worry about there. Uh, but it does seem look seem like he is ready to go. Uh, like summer league, NFL preseason really means nothing. You shouldn't read too much into it. Um, the Baltimore Ravens are haven't lost in preseason in like four years or something. Um, it's it's a time for teams to see what they have, and it's a time for you to avoid holding like avoid doing your fantasy draft too early because then guys are going to get injured and then you're going to be kicking yourself um, my fantasy draft is tonight and i'm pretty sure i'm going to go travis kelsey with the second pick just because i worry about all of the injuries um, that threaten to take out the top running backs at the top of the draft um, it's tough man my only hope for fantasy is that i can get a mostly healthy team for this season um, yeah, besides that, NFL is such a grueling sport. So a lot of these guys don't get a ton of action in preseason, but they'll be ready to go. Um, the other note here, Jamal Adams getting four years, 70 million out of the Seattle Seahawks after they traded for him last season. Um, he made the argument that he should be paid like a linebacker who evidently, I guess, get paid more than safeties normally do. Uh, the Seahawks seemingly obliged here going a little bit higher than you would normally see for a safety. Um, the thing is, is Adams really does play more of a linebacker role, gets a ton of sacks. He's a lot more uh, run oriented and, and blitz oriented than coverage. Um, and yeah, he's a great playmaker at his position. You pay premium uh, salary for guys who make plays at his position, but it could be expensive four years from now with the type of football that he plays could be kind of a, a cam chancellor situation where he falls off a cliff there and Seattle's uh, stuck paying him a bunch of money there in the fourth year of his contract, but all NFL deals, like they can push money around like nothing. It's so different from the NBA and NHL in terms of guaranteed money. They can really do whatever they want with the players. So yeah, not much for football fan cave. Um, I guess if we're really talking football as well, uh, the Premier League underway starting last weekend and Arsenal in classic fashion losing terribly to Brentford, who were making their first ever appearance in the Premier League after getting uh, promoted uh, 
last season and they beat Arsenal. So good job, Arsenal. You continue to let us down. Um, yeah, that's it for <laughs> Football Fan Cave. Uh, we'll go into our last segment here talking hockey and I'll kick things off uh, with some contract talks. UC Saros, um, solid goaltender, gets paid four years, 20 million after Pecorine retires. Um, he's going to be Nashville's number one moving forward. He's been really, really solid uh, last couple of seasons, really solid last season um, in terms of numbers, but Nashville's got their guy for now and he will really get full-time run without any risk of Pekka Rene going on a heater behind him and, and stealing his spot. So it'd be interesting to see what we get from him. Yeah. This Predators team in general, I mean, we all had them penciled in as one of the top sellers early into the season last year and Granlin top of that list. Granlin now re-signed the Predators made the playoffs. So who hockey, the sport, professional sport with the most parody in the world so who knows yeah really uh this next piece of news well we got a bunch of news today in the hockey world so good timing on the podcast stuff coming out just like two three hours ago but uh, i wanted to go to the nhl 22 cover athlete who i initially had penciled in here as panarin that was the speculation ends up being austin matthews not the first time he's been on the cover of nhl uh franchise and all I have is fear in my heart. <laughs> like we're far enough out now that yeah. the Leafs thing doesn't sting anymore. And, and it's whatever I'm, I'm starting to gear up for the next NHL season. But um, the fact that he is going to be on the cover of NHL 22, as well as this Amazon uh, show coming out, taking us behind the scenes of last season with Toronto Maple Leafs. Max, I don't know if you've seen that. You got to yeah. go watch the trailer for that. All it does is have me terrified for the endless ridicule and online abuse that Leafs fans will take if this team does not do well, because um, you can already see it. The, oh, stick to hockey. Stop getting on the covers of video games. Stick to hockey. Oh, they're a bunch of glamour boys getting their own TV show, blah, 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 blah. Uh, fans are going to bask in Leafs peril. Uh, as we move into the next season. And so really, I wish all of this stuff would go away. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I actually, I had a whole thing ready to comment on the bold choice of Panarin and the stance against Russia, as we can throw that all out the window. And uh, yeah, I it scares me a little how much I expect a certain level of greatness from the Leafs in the regular season because never expect anything from this team though I did pick them to finish first and they did last year but I feel like as soon as we get like right now it's all about how do we do in the playoffs how do we do in the playoffs we are comfortable with our status as a playoff Just put whatever type of punctuation you want around contender but that is roughly the word and I, it's i mean i guess we danced with that uh two seasons ago right before the firing of the coach who's in again yes that's it uh so that that does strike a fear in my heart that we're looking past the regular season a little and you never want to look past anything 
as a Leafs fan. Yeah, just cross our fingers, I guess. Go watch that trailer too when we're done here. Cause uh yeah. All it did was just stress me out. <laughs> uh next piece of news here. Could we see an NHL franchise on the move after two new expansion teams enter the league? But the Arizona Coyotes, um, the city of Glendale voted to revoke their rights uh to the arena in Glendale, Arizona. So after this upcoming season, Arizona Coyotes will have nowhere to play. Um, and so that could mean them moving to Phoenix. If there is an arena there, could yes, have there them is. moving somewhere Do you else. Remember in when they were called the Phoenix Coyotes? But I thought they always played in Glendale. Oh, did they? Yeah. Okay. I thought they'd They're... been run out of Phoenix to Glendale. And... <laughs> Good gosh. Yeah. Who knows? But they are in trouble because if they cannot find somewhere to play within the state of Arizona, then they are looking at a relocation and a brand new NHL franchise entering the league. Um, Houston has been posited as a potential location just with their growth. And then of course, Quebec city is always in there. Um, and maybe for the sake of our city, uh, we should throw in our, our Toronto's hat in the ring to get a second, second team just to try and, kick the Leafs in the butt to actually have some success I, I want it to be an expansion draft team so we can say like look at this half-assed form team that's somehow outperforming you guys uh no I'll hold my breath though I the NHL just finally getting that east-west balance adding the Seattle team coming off the backs of adding Vegas I'm sure if Arizona does relocate they're going to try and keep that distribution and it, it would Houston the most likely primer. I it, it's rough for Canadian fans, but it's going to be a while before Quebec City. Although looking at the U.S., like Houston is, I would say it's more east than west. Oh, for sure. And Detroit shouldn't be a Western team either, but they're scrambling as it is to maintain that balance. So, well, Detroit's not west anymore, aren't they? In the Atlantic Division, are they? Oh my God. Western Conference was like six years ago. But that wasn't like the Leafs right. were in the Western Conference way back in the day right. as well. So, okay. yeah, all over the place. You're right, though. The NHL finally has geographically it down. So, 100%, you could see them moving uh, to a city that that is on the West Coast. It's just there's not really much like. Portland? Do they play hockey there? I don't know. Does Idaho even have a city, the population that would play? <laughs> yeah, exactly. ho hockey a tough sell as well. Mm -hmm. A Victoria those. team? Again, not a big enough market. I'd imagine Victoria must be around the size of Quebec City. If it's uh, possible there, then who knows? But yeah, don't see NHL taking a leap like that. Yeah, well, definitely something to follow. You know, it's going to blow up in the next couple of days with uh, rumors about what's going to happen. And we'll definitely hear from Gary at some point, but we won't learn anything from that. <laughs> Last piece of news here. Um, a man who shares my namesake, Owen Power, has saved his career by returning to the Michigan Wolverines for another year of college hockey, the number one overall pick. Um, this is the first time that number all overall pick has returned to college since 2006 when Eric Johnson returned to the University of Minnesota. 
um, that didn't work out so well for him. I mean, he was solid when he was younger, but didn't have the career that a number one pick is usually touted to have. Um, hopefully it works out for Owen Power. He is surviving. Uh, I imagine he'll do the route of playing most of the season in college and then getting called up to play for Buffalo, burn a year at that entry level, but only play a couple games. So you're not getting the full pain of the Buffalo experience. And then uh, only two more years after that, before you can get out. I think Buffalo will turn things around by then you would hope it is a dumpster fire and we constantly bash on them, but at some point there has to be a change or has to be a turn. And um, maybe staying in college is the kick that Buffalo needs to try and build something before he gets back. And then when he's added, then this team really takes a step forward. Uh, we'll definitely see, but uh, good choice for the kid. He gets to enjoy university, something we, we know very well. And it's an experience you can't have back once you go to the, the league. So um he's in a great position to do so because as a number one overall pick, he's going to make his money at some point. Um, but he gets to go live it up at university of Michigan and win a ton of hockey games in college. And great news for Canadians all around as it means he'll be competing at the 2022 world juniors. So love that. Absolutely. All righty. That's it. We have for talk in hockey. Do we have anything else left on the docket? Uh, I need to check out this Lave Cup, Laver Cup. It's going to be happening in Boston, tennis thing, uh, Team World versus Team Europe. We've got Chapo and Felix and Kyrgios all competing for Team World. So that's a fun group of guys. I think it's Opelka, Riley, and I can't, uh, Schwartzman round out the other six. And then Team Europe obviously stacked. Uh, Maybe tennis, the only sport where you can say Team Europe is definitely better than the rest of the world. I don't know, soccer, football. Uh, it's, it's, I'm trying to remember. It's Tsitsipas, the winner of the National Bank Open. Medvedev, uh, I think Rud is playing for them as well as Rublev, and I can't think of the other two off the top of my head, but that should be fun. And then the Sorry, US Open, not too far away. Yep. Western and Southern Open on right now. Uh, tournament that Milos won way back in the day. Um, but nothing too exciting in that regard. And and Blue Jays pick things up. But besides that, yeah. we will, I will enjoy the Little League World Series. Uh, Max, enjoy your weekend with the family. Had to record the podcast a little bit earlier than normal, but enjoy your night out on the town. And uh, thanks everyone once for once again for listening. I imagine it, it will probably be uh, another one episode week next week, just with the way things are moving news wise, but we'll kick things up into gear a little bit more come September when we are absolutely up to our neck and all sorts of work and commitments. So good times. Sports gods drop something spicy on a Sunday, please. Till then sports next door signing out.